0: Welcome to the desire to trade podcast, the podcast helping you develop forex, trading skills for more freedom. I'm your host, it's Kreit. We are in episode 130. Let's get started right away. I feel like I'm going to repeat myself because I've been doing a lot of videos on the same topic, but I've been moving now to Ho Chi Minh in Vietnam, and I really love the place, mainly for the coffee and the food and the environment too. It's just an amazing place. The other good aspect is the internet. The internet here is bullet speed, like really fast and you can do pretty much anything you want. Which really was not the case in Cambodia in general. And so that's a big difference. This is pretty much the longest I'll be staying in one city when I travel. Because I used to change the cities every four or five days and then I moved to every week. And now two weeks. That is really cool because I have time to work have time to explore, and to really be productive and be at my best, which is, I think, really important when you trade and travel. With that being said, you guys will notice that more and more of the interviews that I do will be on YouTube. It's just, for me, a much better way to do it. I prefer it that way. And I also have some personal goal for YouTube. I think videos are just better in any case. That doesn't mean that you guys on the podcast won't get interviews. They're still going to be published here every single week. And... Last week, I had the chance to connect with Paul Langham. I had Paul on a previous episode of the podcast. That was a long time ago, and it's going to be linked in the show notes as always. I'd like to bring back some of the past guests so that they can share their experience and go kind of deeper on topics that you guys liked. Paul is a master at price action. After working in different banks and going on his own to trade, he's been able to get a lot of experience and now know exactly what moves the price and how we can benefit from price action we went really deep on a few topics including how to look at setups and what to look for in the market and also how to trade kind of professionally or full-time if you wish so you guys will see but instead of just going far and pushing to make the most return and most money now why not going smart and waiting till you get money from other people, which could be much more interesting sometimes. I won't talk further. I realize this is like three minutes in. I'll go right in the interview. Please help me welcome Paul Langham. Welcome to a live video directly from Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam. And I am with a very special guest today, someone that I was impatient to reconnect with.
1: Hi Etienne, thank you very much for having me on the podcast or the Hangout, I suppose this one is. It's a Hangout. I had a previous conversation with you on a podcast, which was great fun. Great to connect with some of your guys, as I was saying in the uh, the chat before we started. Uh, there were some great guys which came off your side. Very impressed with what you're doing. Um, first thing I would say to anybody who's out there, take a look at Etienne because uh, influential mover in, in Forex in terms of the fact young guy, trades, moves around the world. It's the lifestyle that everybody is, is actually looking for. So take a leaf out of this guy's book and uh, I give him a good, big thank you for the site that he's running. So great. Thanks very much for inviting me anyway.
0: Nice, no, wonderful. So it's gonna be kind of a mix of lesson plus Q&A today. We'll try to answer your question as much as possible. Yeah. And I know you guys have a lot of questions about price action and Paul is the, I would say expert at price action, he knows like pretty much everything there is to know to make money and that's gonna be perfect. It's all we need. I want Paul to maybe just talk a little bit about yourself and the kind of trading yeah. you're doing these days and a little bit of, of your past as well because it's really interesting. I know you have yeah. a, a big background, but explain okay. people what you've been doing so far.
1: Yeah, okay. So as I explained on the podcast, I started actually very, very young in this game in terms of the fact that um, I was actually one of these, uh, these private schools in, in, the, in the UK where there wasn't much to do, uh, locked away uh, sports, academic stuff, and uh, a bit of music as well. Uh, we got interested with uh, one of the maths teachers who introduced us to game theory. And, you know, when you're 14, 15 years old, you, you decide that this might be a great way to make money. So we tried everything from you know beating casinos to horse racing and the rest of it. And it was a gradual, gradual movement towards financial markets, which obviously are a little bit easier than the, the two former topics, because the odds are not necessarily always uh, fixed uh, in the uh, direction of the market maker. And I actually started to work in the city in London, come from the UK, obviously, been over in Belgium or in the Benelux for 30 years now, over 30 years now, uh, which is a long time originally started in uh, in the city. Got a little bit caught up in the crash of 87. That's what, uh, one of the reasons they initiated my move over to the European continent. So I had some experience of the old fashioned way, I would say before the big bang, 1987, all of the floor traders, the commodity houses, a little bit slower in terms of uh, the way you know, prices were traded or instruments were traded rather. And at the time when I started it, it was bits of paper, so I, was just, I had a Actually, a seminar in, in London Yeah, at the end of November, and I was explaining to the guys it was, it was effectively a position keeper, which meant the guy next to me was on the phone mostly to places like Hong Kong, New York, and would just throw a piece of paper over the uh, top of the desk at me, and I had to keep the positions of the day. you know. And at the end of the day, we had to balance the thing up, net it all out. And quite often, there was a lot of pieces of paper on the floor, some of it in the bin, uh, all sorts of things. We had to work all that out. That's how it all really started. As I say, it's quite a long time ago. Things have moved on, obviously, tremendously since then. And I think one of the big things is, the, obviously, the automation which has taken place to the rise of computers inside the banks. I mean, it was a very manual process then. Uh, being involved in that, obviously, what I've actually been doing recently is some of these robo-advisors. I don't know if you know any of these companies like Nutmeg, people like that in the UK. So this is a type of trying to get rid of actually fund managers. That's what they're trying to do. So the computer actually decides what it wants to buy for you, but obviously based on the instructions which are given by, uh, by the fund managers. We've yet to see whether those beat the fund managers in the long run. At the moment, they're doing very, very well. But the specialization, obviously, is in FX, and it's been in FX for, for many, many years now. So I started 2008 after the big crash, the housing crash, started my site, Exact Trading, uh, YouTube videos as well, and been trying to help people since then. Helped quite a few people. Some people gone on to be successful. I said, we one guy who started his own private equity fund, which is quite satisfying. He sailed off into the wind. <laughs> He's got his private equity fund. i uh, got other people who I just get emails out of the blue sometimes. This guy said "Because I post videos actually in the morning and the evening every day just free of charge for people just to help them and also to help myself. I get down uh, to the bank, to the office, just to see what the market's done. It makes me focus a little bit. So that's quite a lot of hard work, but it, it helps me to focus. I know what the market's doing before I get there because I'm forced to do it. I force myself to do it. That helps. And I do get emails from people who say uh, they've just viewed my videos and, you know, they're making money off that. Not everybody will. It depends on how you trade, uh, your personality, you know, what sort of leverage you're using, how capitalized you are, that type of thing. So that's just a very, very brief overview of what I've been doing. But I'm purely a price action trader. I had a couple of articles I don't know, published in Stocks and Commodities Magazine not long ago. And I'm actually in the middle of writing a book as well at the moment, but I have to say it's not going particularly fast. I haven't got much time. But, yeah, just to try and get people profitable. It is possible for the average guy to get profitable. It is. It's been proven. And ultimately, what I want to do is actually get a band of traders. We've started the automated uh, turtles. Instead of Richard Dennis with the turtles, we got the automated turtles. So these are the guys that are trading on EAs, on MT4. And this is relatively easy to get involved with. Everybody can get involved in it. Uh, And uh, we started with one EA actually in January which is foreseen to have between 5 and 8% profit of the first year. And we're already up, I think, 3.04% in a month, a month and a day now. So looking quite good. And my idea is to add about 10 to 15 EAs together and maybe looking for about 60 to 80% a year, something like that. Something like that. And then go to the market, hopefully go to the market this summer, somewhere at Abu Dhabi or the Middle East, possibly the Far East. I come over to your place and pick up some money, pick up the loops, bring it back and start trading it. So. That's it. And bring in some people because there's people who are doing professions which they're quite, you know, obviously very, very good at what they do, but they like to do other things as well. I want to be interested in some money management. It's a good opportunity. If you manage money, that is where the money is in, in, in trading, in fact. It's managing other people's money because most of these people will have a lot more money than the average trader has got. And this is part right. of the problem. If you have $15,000, $20,000, you stretch to try and make that into fifty, and that's where you blow up. But if you have 15 to 20 million, you're quite happy to trade that at maybe 2%, 3 4% per annum profit and then take 20%, 25% of the profit. And the guy's happy, you're happy. That's the way to do it. So that's what I'm trying to educate
0: people. Love it. So it looks like we have a lot more topics to talk about than what I expected. Yeah. There's going to be price action. I know you're a price action trader. Yeah. We need to talk about ES as well because that's really interesting, even for myself. Mm-hmm. And also this aspect of trading for others. So once again if you guys have any questions, just comment in the chat. We'll make sure to answer those questions. We have yeah, have Marcel and Hannah would just join us. That's mm-hmm. great. A lot of people watching. So I wanna hear about kind of trading style these days and what you're trading. I know you're doing so you're doing a lot of things which I'm really yeah, impressed I mean, about. You're working in yeah. a bank, trading on different timeframes to tell us what that's what that looks like. Okay. A bit.
1: So j- just to try, again, trying to educate everybody about how it actually works from a banking point of view. A lot of people think that, you know, there's rows of traders, you know, in a line sort of bums on seats and, and millions of screens and the rest of it, all these guys prop trading. A lot of that, especially since 2008, has actually gone because of a lot of the scandals. A lot of it's just been automated. I think people like UBS, that their, their forex trading is about 90% automated now. So a lot of it, you know, if we if they ask us to buy uh, 20 million or something like that, we just put it into a machine. The machine does it for us. Right? So it just nips away at the market at a certain price. It will buy a million, buy a million, buy a million, just carries on doing this. So there's not really so much interaction as there used to be. If you see what we were doing before, where it actually had to be done on the telephone across to New York. It's all done over the wire. It's done by a computer now. So. There's less of guys sitting there on on seats, you know, screaming down telephones. The image of that is, is slowly dying. It's just like the uh, floor traders died as well. That's the first thing. Second thing, there's a lot of disruption, a lot of disruptors in the foreign exchange market. New guys coming in, people like Virtue, uh, high-frequency trading people who are becoming, uh, you know, taking little percentage of the market. So very, very clever guys, uh, jeans and T-shirt guys, not necessarily, you know, like meat timer. So I think very young guys, intelligent, clever, they're breaking the models, and a lot of the banks are obviously feeling that. Uh, a lot of the big banks are feeling that. So they're having to, uh, they're being disrupted, that's what they think in the terminology they use, and they're obviously having to react to all that. So that's what's sort of going on down there. And as I said, there's this robot, the robo-advisor, what they call robot advisors, are taking place, nutmeg. There's quite a lot of that going up on in the Netherlands. In the U.S., obviously, it seems to always be in advance, uh, I don't know some of the names of them off the top of my head, those guys, but it's a lot of traders sitting with IT people actually now, telling them about the strategies, the IT people actually coding it and then whacking it into a program and testing it and, and, and making sure it works according to what they want to do. And so the, the management, they win because they don't have to pay so many people. They get rid of people, they can get rid of offices. They got to buy a few more computers, obviously, to run stuff, a few more IT people. But on balance, it's easy for them, and they're trying to get away from all these scandals and the rest of it, which have been going on as well. So, from banking side, that's what I do there. From personal side, I got a little bit disillusioned in 2008. That's why I started my site because I thought everything that was going on with the housing crisis and you know, people were losing money. I saw accounts, you know, down by 75%, stuff like that. Wow. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, so if, if for example, you had a high net worth individual down 100 million, down 75%, still got 25 million, which to most people is a lot of money. So he would be okay. But I also saw people at 100,000 who lost 75,000. And if you've only got 25 left out of that 100, that's a sort of life-changing situation. So I got a little bit fed up with that and decided to uh, try and level the playing field. So we, I'm trying to take down a couple of banks, actually, personally, you know, single-handedly. It's sort of tongue-in-cheek, but that's the sort of motto we got on the side. So we're trying to actually take some money back from these guys. Not easy, uh, but you need to be disciplined, but it is possible. So that's how the exact trading started. I've put out these couple of videos twice per day. I've got this price action trading course. I've got some EAs which are coming out. And I've actually just got a new momentum indicator, which I spent ages developing, which is a price action indicator, if um, you understand what that is. So it's based on price levels, which is what I look at. That seems to be very, very good. People are having some success with that already, which is good. Um, trying to educate people. Of course, a lot of it is about they mustn't overtrade. They have to have the right amount of capital. They you mustn't get scared in the market. They mustn't, you know, deviate from the plan. All this type of thing, and that's the problem with with not not so with retail traders, but that's that's the trader that's the problem with prop trading. You, you just get too emotional with what you're doing, and that's why a lot of the big traders have moved everything onto a computer because they just flip the switch and walk away. If the rules are good and they work, then they flick the switch and walk.
0: And what does your trading look like? Because you're trading different time frame you told me before, and yeah. I know we, we talked just before about news and yeah. the fact that there was news coming up in like twenty five. Yeah, yeah minutes about three, and you're not six, watching six news at all. Yeah, no, so. I mean I've
1: got i got, got a couple of screens to my left here, but I'm not. I mean, because this is actually a question I had from some guys this morning. What should I do about FOMC and the rest of it? I mean, if you're trading the four hour on the daily and it's a type of swing, just just let them get on with it. You know, don't get sucked into the thing. If you're trading a one minute chart, actually if the FMOC comes up trading a one-minute chart, my advice would be to drop that to a 15-second chart and trade with the trend and get yourself a good broker, a very, very fast connection, and you can make money on it as long as you've got a good broker and the, the spread doesn't go out too far. But you need to see you need to see the definition in that candle. If you just get one one spike in that candle, that's no good. We used to trade actually down to a two-second chart, believe it or not. And that is absolutely superb when you're trading news. Um, so then you can see the definition. You can actually see the you actually see the curve like this, as opposed to just a spike. You see a spike, you don't know actually what's doing. It's just going down, but is it actually bottoming out? Is there any, you know, is there anything in there? Other than that? So for news items, you've got to drop the time frame dramatically down to about two to five seconds. Um, but for what I'm trying to do now, trying to help people, is is just let them get on with it, And most as a lot of people on my site will tell you guys in my chat group will tell you, most of these moves, they get reversed sometimes within a couple of hours, sometimes in half a day or two days max. So if there's a big move to the downside today, unless it's something really shocking, uh, normally by about Monday or Tuesday, the price would be back up to where we started. So a lot of it is just emotional knee-jerk reaction and then it's, people realise, well, actually, it wasn't so bad after all. Or They revise the figures. You know, they always revise last month's figures. That's what other people don't realise. You know, they're revising the figures, the jobs figures, the whole time. So, what everybody was upset about last month is now revised, and we're back to where we were. So, it's it's just people. You know, the market makers need to move the market in order to get people to trade, so they can make money on the spread, and then the brokers can make money because people trade. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. They need momentum in the market, so sometimes it's it's pushed a little bit further than that it needs to go. I think so, uh, mm-hmm. but that's that aspect of it. And then, obviously, what I specialize in, you know, originally what my real specialization was is, is this London reversal, uh, which we don't always get these days because the market has changed quite a bit. But for the guys, a lot of those guys are, are working, so I help them with uh, swing or intraday trading. So i thing we really mm-hmm. okay. just short short bursts of momentum. Cool.
0: Are you using the same strategies intraday and on a swing basis okay. or is it different? Things?
1: Um yeah, I mean the thing is, one of the major things is obviously is risk control. It's the first thing. So the risk control, you must have an idea about where you're going to come out it doesn't matter whether you're in whether you're in swing or whether you're in intraday. You must have an idea about where you're going to come out. Uh, that's the first thing. So capital preservation is absolutely of, you know prime importance. Otherwise you can't come back tomorrow. If you lose 80% of your capital, it's catastrophic. So I'm teaching them, hopefully teaching them that's the first thing. we have got to watch out for capital, which means manage the leverage. And most professional traders are down to about something like leverage of five, absolute tops 10, a lot of people are about between two and five. So that if you get something like Swiss National Bank move, you, know, you, you're not, you can still come back to the game tomorrow. So I'm trying to teach them that. But a lot of the momentum moves we're doing at the moment are the, almost the same intraday or swing, same type of thing. Obviously, you just have to hold a little bit longer. And that's a problem for people to hold. Uh, if you look at this euro run up since December, you know, you could almost have bought, I think it's around about 27th of December, I'd still be holding now. There's not really been any pullback. Um, but how many people actually did actually buy in December and are still holding? Not many. I think that's the answer to that. So I'm trying to help people with that. It's very difficult to get people to do that, especially if they're slightly undercapitalized because they're trying to put more money on the table than they probably should do, which is why, in turn, I'm trying to get them to trade very small then take their trading slips to the money managers and say, okay, this is what we can do. And then you you get seeded uh, some money that way, which is uh, also another method of becoming profitable. It's a nice yeah. idea.
0: Uh-huh. So here's what you're going to do, uh, guys. So comment in the chat if you're using some sort of price action for your strategy right now. If you have no strategy, just comment in the chat as well. And if you're watching the replay, comment in the comment section below if you're using price action or not. And we're going to try to help you guys like create a strategy with price action because that's what i say is the biggest problem people don't know how to create a strategy price action is like this big huge thing that you don't really know how to put together and we'll try to have paul to help you guys try to put everything together so come in the chat and we'll get to that right away so paul you were me you have trades that are a really long time frame and a really yeah. short time frame what does that look like
1: well yeah as i was saying before i've still actually got some trades short off the, the the Draghi move, which was, I think, in 2015 now, off the top. So for British pound and US dollar, uh, euro, US dollar, still got some short trades off the top there, which I actually probably now have to do something with because both of those currencies have reversed quite strongly off the bottom. Um, but what I'm trying to do is catch some very, very big swings and not very highly leveraged on those positions. So I don't actually have to look at them. I, I mostly don't even think about those things. It's just a little bit of training for myself, actually, in order to teach myself to keep reiterating the fact you have to hold trades. The intermediate trades that I've got are a little bit more highly leveraged, a little bit more important for me. Where I'm making the, uh, I should say the the wedge of money, those ones I have to watch quite carefully. But what I'm looking to do is just catch the, catch the momentum swing. So if the price is moving, the train is moving, just going to get onto the train. You have to, a little bit of timing aspect about getting onto the train and then let it take you out as far as it wants to take you out into the country and just take you for a ride. That's that's actually what's happening at the moment on British pound and US dollar. It's been very, very good. And the last, you know, prior to that, 2016-17, there's a little bit of sideways activity on the bottom there for quite some time. But since, actually since Trump came in, and since Goldman Sachs said that the euro was going to go down to parity, it went the other way. Of course, that must have been the hat tip, in fact, and it's, you know, up 25% since then which is a phenomenal move, in fact, in about you uh, a year and a half, something like that, a year and you know, just over a year. I think it was November 2016 he came in, he was inaugurated. The inauguration was January 2017. So very, very good move. But what it looks like is just trying to get on this trend and ride it until it just peters out. So I'm looking at momentum in the trend. And one thing, if I can give one tip about price action trading, and this is something that people get wrong the whole time, is that you, when you want to go and buy a TV, for example, you want to buy yourself a new TV, you're looking around in the newspapers and on the internet to find the cheapest price. In financial markets, they work in the uh, completely in a different way. You need to think about buying high and selling even higher as opposed to trying to buy it low. Now, you can buy low, but the market has to have turned at the point when you buy low. So a lot of people like to buy pullbacks, which is fine but that pullback has to have actually pulled back. You can't just put a trade on, you can't put a a position, you know, a buy order on a Fibonacci 66% retracement or something. Go out and play golf and hope that things can actually reverse. And this is actually what surprised me. I see this everywhere on on Twitter. I don't think they put this stuff up, but if they just waited to see what actually happened when it hit that level, they would increase their win rate by probably about, I don't know, 30, 40% or something because it's much easier to see if the market has actually turned, and then you say, okay, now I'm going to go with it. Let the big guys turn it for you. Don't, don't stand and don't try to be a big guy. I mean, that's also another message. Don't you know, Don't try and turn a market yourself because you won't be able to do it. It's like the Titanic, you know, the, the film where the guy tries to turn it. It takes a long time to come around. Financial markets take a long time to come around. So you've got to buy actually when the market is going up. So that means buying highs or buying when the market has turned after the pullback. That's the first thing. Then also, don't be surprised about how far a market is going to run. If I never make any predictions, but what I will say is if this a euro gets about above 125 now, you can see it on the chart, it's almost certainly to run and run and run. How far it will run, I don't know. But this is a big level. If it gets above there, there's clear blue water up there. It's going to go right back. You know, it could go to, to 130. could even go way beyond that. But you mustn't actually set that figure in your head. You must just sit on the train and let it go. When the train stops, you get off. Simple as that. So if you set targets, it's going to go here, it's going to go there. It's not going to work because nobody can predict. I mean, I think you probably agree with that. You know, ultimately, nobody can predict. Goldman Sachs can't do it. You know, Barclays can't. Nobody can do it. If you look at their analysts, they pay them quarter of a, million a year, quarter of a million sterling a year or something like this. You look at the, what they actually do, most of it is put it straight in you know? the bin, you know, and they they haven't got one guy doing this. They got whole banks of these guys. They got whole departments of these guys coming at this stuff. It's the same for stocks, same for commodities. Stuff happens, and you can't predict it. And it's always the instrument that you don't think is going to go up actually does go up. Yeah, you know, nobody was predicting the euro is going to go up. They all thought it's going to go down. It went the other way. You know. So you know what I mean? The market is driven by people, and we can't see. And unfortunately, we can't see into the markets, the collective heads of these guys. So. I would say two things. If you want to buy on a pullback, make sure it's turned. So you don't necessarily have to use sort of price levels that I use. You could use Fibonacci's. you can use anything you want, but whatever it is, stick to it. Use that, but make sure the market has actually turned for you going. Don't just put a you know buy order on a thirty, twenty-five percent Fib retracement or something and just go out to lunch or something. Because when you come back, you know, it may well have gone straight through. But if it hits that and starts to bounce, it looks like it's gonna go up. So that is actually, you know, the market's just curving a little bit like probably a sign that's other people are in there as well, that you could go with. I personally like to buy the breakouts to go higher because, again, that's what I was taught them, you know, buy high and sell even higher because when they're really feeding, when the fish are really feeding, everybody wants in. That's the bit when you've got to be in. On the pullback, it's sort of a, they're all a bit wounded, you know, and it could be a little bit half-hearted, but when it's breaking the highs, so I'm saying if this, this 125 breaks, I mean, I'm already in from quite low down on the British pound. But if the euro breaks the one 125, it could bring in a lot more people. Plus, there'll be shorts up the top there that will have to reverse and come out of their positions, long-term people, which means that that could fuel it even more. So think about buying high and even selling even higher, but only sell when the price starts to hesitate. And hesitate is means it's just going sideways. It starts to go sideways. If it's not going up, in, it's going sideways, then you better just step out, at least put one foot out of the train, take off you know, 25%, 50% something. And this is yeah. actually what a lot that's, of very, very big traders
0: do. That's a great strategy. And that, that's how I started to kind of become, to go from a losing trader to get kind of a more profitable trader. I took some position off, like half of it like at yeah. some point. And yeah. I was able to like cut a lot of losses that way. So that's really helpful. Yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah. No,
1: I, had, I actually had a, one of the guys on well, I used to work with years ago, he gave me some very simple tips like this, which actually sound simplistic, mm-hmm. but it's actually quite good for your psyche as well because if yeah. you sell out 75% and then it carries on going to the upside, you, you, you've got a problem in your head. And you say, oh, why did I sell 75%? i only got 25 left. But if you do 50-50, you're never wrong. So if it crashes, you've still got 50% profit, you, 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 it's, and that's part of the game as well. You need to have that in your head that it's uh, that you, you're quite balanced in the head that you're happy with the decisions you make. So it's very important to have that. Otherwise, you could consistently second guessing yourself and uh, turning around inside.
0: In All right. So we've got a lot of people using price action in the chat. And yeah. welcome, Scott. Welcome. We, yeah, we have a lot of people. That's awesome. Yeah. So I want to know, Paul. When you look at a chart, what's the first thing you look at?
1: Okay, what I'm looking at, chart What I'm looking at is is the what well, is it going up or is it going down? If it, how do I tell if it's going up or going down? If it's going up, it's breaking. Depending on the time, well, on all time frames uh, will be the same rule irrespective of the time frame. Some time frames are a little bit easier to see. Is it breaking the highs? You know, is is price breaking recent highs? Is it going higher or is it has it broken some highs and then come come back down again? There's a couple of patterns that I like very much. This type of very difficult to, to describe it without a chart. But um, when you get price coming up to a high, you get this, this pressure from underneath. And there is actually this on the British pound In fact, today, could break today. This is what I call a coaling mechanism. You have a type of higher lows underneath, pushing underneath, coming up towards a resistance area. For example, the price is going to the upside. And you've got the highs just keep getting higher and higher, the lows, sorry, keep getting higher and higher and up, pushing underneath. And at a certain moment, it just pops like a it just pops through the level. And that's something which I'm looking for all the time. That's for sure. And then depending on what sort of thing I'm really looking for, this I quite like big candles. I got this, I've got some EAs which um which I actually call big candle EAs. So when you get this huge push of momentum, again, I'm buying the high. Depending on the size of that candle. And then I'm looking to get the follow through so that that candle will bring other people in. So I'm looking for those types of trades. And for a daily type of thing in London Open, I'm looking for a reversal of what I call bank level. So it's when they push the price off the eight o'clock open to about 40, 50 pips. It doesn't happen as regularly as it used to. And then looking for a reversal off that. So I'm looking for that. And then also for the longer term, again, I'm looking for this, this momentum to the upside. So just blocks of three candles, for example. Three candle, three blues, three blue candles, three green candles going to the upside. Very, very powerful. Means you know on a weekly time frame, means there's a lot of big traders who are buying that stuff. Because to push this around, you do need quite a lot of money. Uh, you know, to push some of these markets around, they're talking about big money. And if they push it in that order, it means that somebody somewhere wants to get the price away from where they've entered, and it's a momentum which is going to suck in other people. So looking for moves which are going to suck in other people as well. Because if I'm in that's fine being in, but I then need someone else to move the price higher to get so I can get out. So I'm trying to get in, this, you know, on the breakouts, buying the highs, uh, looking for the momentum follow through as well. So that, that's mostly what I'm looking for. I do have some mean reversion stuff as well, but most mostly uh, momentum and, and uh, breakout trading. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think what most of you set up are going to have in common is like some sort of support resistance zones that you identify.
1: Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, at the bank, I mean, again, this is, uh, I don't know whether it's well-known or not well-known, but a lot of the people that come on the site, they haven't, haven't really heard about it before. A lot of prop traders, the old-fashioned prop traders, they used conglomeration of weekly, monthly, and, and uh, weekly, monthly, and, and um, daily levels, so highs and lows. And when you get these highs and lows coming together, uh, creates a resistance or support area. They're very, very powerful, and they come in and out of those levels. A lot of quite big bank traders do that. and they work very, very well. Nothing works hundred percent of the time because if you get a big move, you know if Trump stands up now or something or someone says there's a button pushed in South Korea are going to do whatever, you know the price is just going to go through any bank level, it's going to do what it wants. A bit like a Brexit move. Uh, so there is no prediction on that. Um, but these bank levels work very, very well. And uh, I show them on the videos as well uh, on a daily basis. Um, and you, you can trade off them. You can trade. You, you can trade off them if you. So long as you ensure that at the level you've got the guys coming in to do that buying to turn it around. So if price is coming down towards the level. You don't just put a buy trade in there. You wait for the other guys to turn it, and you know that they're turning it at that level. It Gives you a lot of confidence to go into the trade. And then it gives you a bit of surety that tr- uh, price is going to go in your direction. So um, I'm quite good at, uh, oh, we've got a down move, I think, just started. So this must be the figure, yeah, selling off a little bit. I'm quite good at uh, yeah, getting in the right direction. It's the management of the trade after that, which is for most people quite difficult because they don't know how, how to hold, how long to hold, when to get off. But yeah, that that's the type of thing that I'm looking for. So those bank levels are very powerful. But what I would say, because a lot of people don't understand the bank levels, or they you know they're married to fibs or whatever, and actually, it doesn't really matter because there are also a lot of people hedge fund people who use fibs. I've never been able to get on with fibs. It just never really appealed to me. It's like you know, like in a blonde woman or a brunette or whatever. You know, it doesn't mean it's wrong. Uh, but yeah. what you've got to do is just make sure that that price is. Turning at the point if it's coming down to the fib or whatever the level is, round numbers I use quite a lot as well. You know, one twenty five yeah. for example, big round number, big big number. One twenty five. I mean, halfway in between one twenty one thirty. That's what I'm saying. If it goes above that, get above that. I think you're going to go to one thirty again. No prediction because I don't do that. But I think you'll find that they they will take it up. Everyone is waiting for that number to be broken. So those types of things are great, but you must see that the other guys, the big guys, have taken it first. And then you just go, it's like one of those, feed a fish on the back of a shark. You know, you know what I mean? You, 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 probably It's a sort of, I don't know what the word is, but you, you're just feeding off the back of the other guy. You're watching what they're doing, actually. So yeah. you've got to change your psyche a little bit and say, well, okay, it's not that you don't know what you're doing. You're being intelligent enough to say, okay, I can't really predict this market, but I see these guys, the big guys have turned it. I'm going to join in the and That's that's basically the way I do it because there's too many big guys out there. The market is too big to in order to, be, to try and sell. So yeah. That's, yeah. that's what i are doing.
0: And would you be trading, let's say, a level that's only appearing on the daily chart and not the other time frame? Or does that have to be um, kind of an alignment? To
1: Well, no. So, for example, on the I, – I mean, the specialization was, was one-minute charts. So I'm using a conglomeration of levels on a one-minute chart for the London – reversal but that's been in between about 40 to 60 pips they tend to move it about 40 to 60 pips off the open and then reverse it not on every day but if it's reversing off there then i will take that but no if we go up to the daily or the uh, the, the daily or the four hour i just use a conglomeration of maybe about 20 25 monthlies across the charts and you're just looking for about three or four which come together so um okay this is just selling off a little bit on the euro there so does not appear to be much of a move, but um, but yeah, so I, I use those levels. Um, but I would what I would stress is that I think it's because people like their own thing, which is fair enough, but I think what the mistake that they make is they don't wait for the market to move. I've seen that everywhere, everyone wants to predict, and actually, the day you say you hold up your hands and you say, Well, I, I really don't know what's going to happen, I'm just going to follow the market, follow the momentum. It's the day you actually start making money, yeah. That, that's, true. That's, no, it's, it's – and actually maybe what has to happen is as a, as a trader, you have to come through, through some sort of education, I think some type sort of internal education where you ultimately say, well, okay, now nah, I give up. I really can't predict it. It hasn't worked because, you know, there's some of the smartest guys in the world in this game, especially in stocks, less so in forex but in stocks. And if they can't do it, then, you know, it means that this, it's, it's just too big to handle. It's like, you know, trying to wrestle wrestle a crocodile wearing gloves coated in olive oil or something, you know, you just can't do it. So just let them, let the, the associated market fight it out and then go with the, go with the winner. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. So, uh,
0: And when it comes to understanding and looking at what are price reverses at a certain level, I know like everyone's yeah. going to have a different setup, yeah. like I have my own setup that they look for and that's where people are different. Yeah. But do you have some things that you look for, you, you yeah. would recommend people to look for?
1: Yeah, I do. So, okay, When there's a couple of things. When the price approaches a level and it's very, very fast and it comes up to that level, very, very fast is tough. If if we talk about the resistance points, the price is going to the upside and it's almost vertical line, comes up very, very fast, maybe runs 60, 80 pips up to the line, it's very unlikely that it's going to have the speed to actually go through that level at that point. So what typically happens is that the, the price... There is an equivalent size candle to the downside, and that for me is the signal to go short. So, when you get big candles coming up into the resistance point, you get then a really good push away from that. That is an indication that someone somewhere has really said, Okay, we don't want this to go any further. And that the higher you get in, so that's in the quicker you get into that candle, the higher you are in to the resistance level, the better from a statistical point of view. You've got more chance that the price is going to move away. A little bit further, and the worst that can happen is it just turn around and stops you out above the level. so I'm looking for that if the price approaches the level very, very slowly and very very carefully it's more likely to actually break out at the top. If you look on a chart, you will see that. so the aggressive moves they're more likely to reverse than the the uh, the sort of very slow moves which just come up very very slowly and, and mm-hmm. they're a little bit more um, a little bit more constrained, if you like. I just realized we got yeah. some sort of thunderstorm here, all the lights. Coming. Oh,
0: that's what I was wondering. It's all dark. It's yeah. dark, It, it's it's dark, it, it right.
1: rains the whole time here. It's the middle oh, of the, it's the afternoon.
0: It's, oh, yeah. Terrible. Okay. <laughs> I was wondering. Okay. Yeah. So if you're going to, let's say, buy at this support and the, like after a big push, at, at a support, yeah. that means even stuff's is going to have to be bigger, no?
1: say so, so again so if I buy on uh, if the price comes if down you
0: to support if a big push on this support yeah. you would have to put your stop loss the stop loss is going to be bigger
1: um, well no what I'm doing is say so imagine the price is coming down so it's coming down and you've got a resist. you've got a support there it could be FIB it could be one of my bank levels it could be anything like this what I'm looking for is to see how does the price approach that level and typically where it starts where, where it's going to be a level is where, where there will be a reversal is it pushes very very hard into that level in a big final push, a type of exhaustive move into that level. Those are the ones that are most likely to reverse. They're the ones that are most likely to reverse. And the ones we, which come very gingerly towards it, very, very soft, softly, very controlled manner, there's nothing out of control. Most of those ones, they won't, certainly won't reverse in the same uh, the manner, and, and majority of them actually will just break, the, break that uh, support area and go through at a certain point. It won't necessarily happen directly but they will build up to that and then go through.
0: Mm -hmm. So we have an interesting question here from uh, Ravindu. He says, how do big players reverse the trend? How can you think like a big player?
1: Okay, so well, what what I would say is about how to think about big player. I would just, how do I think about, just think of of Switzerland, the big bank, the guys with a lot of money down there. They need to put their positions in for the long term. They're not like us where we need to make 10, 15, 20, 60 pips something like that so they need to think about you know a daily time frame uh, a weekly time frame as well that's even monthly time frame so that's big players if you see uh, a really good up week where the whole week is green and you get a couple of those that said maybe two or three weeks like that i think on the british pound we've had six weeks on the trot green if you look at the chart i think it's six weeks that is big players pushing the market around and I do some sort of you know Brexit commentary because I'm obviously from the UK originally. I have no real opinion on the Brexit. But I think the market now certainly believes that will, it's not going to cause a problem. And that's big players putting their money where their mouth is. So to think like those big players, I would watch what they're doing. So I would say, what are they doing? If those guys are long, I want to be long too. I don't really want to fight those people. So um, I want to be long. So to think like them, I would say, watch what they're doing and then go with them. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's, this is a marketplace, after all. This is a type of video game. Think about it like a video game. You've got to win the game. You want to be with the good guys, the guys that know what they're doing. And I would go with them, certainly. Hopefully, that answers the question.
0: Yeah. And I'm just wondering for someone like myself, because I personally trade more reversals than pullbacks yeah. and breakbacks.
1: Yeah.
0: Does the same thing apply? Or is cause I guess, it's a bit different? You want to enter, like, you don't want to wait for a big candle to enter necessarily on the weekly sure. chart, for example
1: yeah but on the re, on the reversals there's, there's several ways what what I do for reversals is what I'm looking for is a breakout above say for example this 125 we got on the euro okay because everyone's looking at that imagine that it goes above 125 makes it to about 12550 and we what I'm doing is at that point I'm looking there is no rush that's the other thing there is no rush to get into the game because there's plenty of pips in the game what I would then do is just Wait. Let's just see what happens. If it stays up there for a couple of days, or maybe day and a half, a full day's trading plus a London Open, it's up there above 125. Then you can start to think, okay, the position has confirmed above the breakout. That's fine. But if it, imagine it stays up there for half a day, it spikes up to 125.50, spikes back, it spikes back down into the range beneath the 125, down to about 124.5. And it stays down there for the rest of the session, that is the signal to go short because it's, it's properly rejected off the, the break of that, uh, that resistance. And you've given it some time to confirm, it's not confirmed, and then you can go short off that. So that's how I'm looking at reversal. It has the price confirmed? If it confirms above, it stayed above, everyone's happy to be up there, then that's fine. It means it's going to go to the upside. If they push it up and they bring it back down, sometimes it's in a matter of an hour or two hours. Uh, then that is the point for the reversal. So, to do the flip side of your question, Etienne, if I'm looking at the breakout from the other side in my example, I would not just want to put my buy order, say five pips above the the high there, and just buy willy-nilly because nothing is confirmed at that point. And this is again something the mistake that people make. I don't know if people can get what I'm saying. It needs to be up there for some time so that the big guys have confirmed that it's okay to be above 125. That's what I'm saying. And if it Comes back down within half a day, something like that, back down to 124.60, 80. They don't want it up there. Therefore, which way do they want it? They want it down. Then then you go short off that. So I don't know if that hopefully maybe answers the uh, question a bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a big point that I never really took time to explain what you talk about. And yeah. I don't necessarily have to take time to look at it necessarily, but I've seen my best trades are definitely happening like faster. Yeah. The one that when I get at the zone, they happen like quick. And that, yeah. that's how it is for sure yeah so yeah let me, let me confirm and that you explain as well that's really yeah. nice
1: yeah
0: a lot of question here. let's see we had there was one about the m a or the the time frame so which time frame is best to predict a major trend
1: okay again, I think I will come back to the question of the the big traders, okay, so if we assume it's very dangerous to assume anything in financial markets, that's the first thing, but if we assume that the guys with the big money they make even more money, which I think. It's not a 100% guarantee because we have had uh, occasions where, you know, big hedge funds and things and LTCM and the rest of it were all Nobel Prize winners and everything. They blew up an entire, nearly brought the entire banking system down. Um, but if we assume in general, the big money is, is well managed, they're looking at their risks and the rest of it, then we've got to be following those guys. And those guys, they're not in the one minute or the five minute. They are in the daily and the weekly and the monthly. Because they're actually very, very busy doing other things like, you know, going to Davos or wherever it is they go to these things. If you're at that level, you know, I'm actually just working in, I actually work for you know, asset management over here. But, you know, at that level, when I'm talking about people who've got a lot of money, they have a circuit of stuff which they do. They go around the entire year. I think they, they call it the season. You know, it starts, I think, around about now somewhere where they go skiing. Do this Davos thing. They go skiing. They do you know horse racing in and wherever it is on the the frozen lake in Be- in Geneva. Or you know, I mean, it, it, it's totally different thing. But those guys are not looking at the five minute. They are parking their money with money managers, and those those money managers are putting it into something like the weekly. And they will have taken a position on the euro for maybe the next three to six months with the trend, almost certainly with the trend. They will diversify across a lot of different currencies, a lot of different commodities. The big CTA guys, as the guys on my uh, site, well, and I've said this many times, a lot of the big CTA guys have got their big money across up to about 175 futures contracts. They diversify across a load of instrument types. So I don't know if that answers the question, but those guys are in the longer terms. The daily, You can see... The daily now, uh Euro, US dollar daily, British pound daily is, is still pretty good. It's all very, very smooth. What you gotta look for is that smooth trend, that 45 degree angle. Doesn't always happen. Uh, Australian dollar, uh US dollar's been very, very good. We had a lovely trade off the top, short, it's now gone right back up again. You just use something very very simple to just measure that trend. Even you uh, know, I hate to say it, because I'm not a—I'm not a—I don't really use indicators at all. But if you just put a, a very simple 20 moving day average up against a price, you will see whether that thing is actually moving to the upside and trending or not. And if you do it on the the daily, it's always going to be smoother. The weekly will be even more smooth, and the monthly will be even more smooth. And, and in fact, the other thing is to say is there's, there's very few people, apart from these big guys who are looking at weekly and monthly. And so by implication, if they're not looking there, it's probably where the money is because all us guys are down at the you know the five minute and the 15 minute, and the brokers are taking all the commissions and so on and so forth, and most people are losing money. So you've got to think out of the box, but I would say go for this longer term um, trades, this daily, weekly, try and catch some of those big swings, in fact.
0: Big takeaway right there, I love it. Yeah. Question from Harry here. Are correlation important for you for range trading, or I guess for any trading? Do you look at correlation between pairs? Uh,
1: it's funny to say that I do look. I tell you what I do look at um, is, for example, if you look at the British pound US dollar, obviously very very heavily traded, actually a bit of a graveyard for most retail traders. What you can see if you look at that as against the British pound Australian dollar, you will often find that the British pound is uh, several minutes in advance. When I say minutes, I mean maybe 90 seconds, something like that, In advance, which is massive. Not always. You've got to have... So that's sort of correlation in between similar pairs. Obviously, there's correlation. You've got triangular arbitrage and the rest of it. That's very, very difficult. Even the banks can't do that now with banks of computers. They can't really do it. And the fact is that once one gets out of step, it will be arbitraged back into, into line very, very quickly. So, and they're, they're offsetting the whole time. So if you know, Barclays happen to end up, I mean, this NFP looks like it's pretty weak, but imagine that it was very, very heavily short, you, you, you heavily um, to the downside. You've got to understand that the banks actually, they're making markets, uh, which is as difficult or if not harder than what we're trying to do because we're allowed to go in long or short or not at all. They've got to make a market 24 hours a day on both sides. They're just taking the spread. And their book regularly gets uh, stretched one way or another. So if there was a big, you know, maybe the market came and sold off 200 pips here now, they would probably start netting those trades out against one of the other currencies. So there's a lot of that that goes on. And they will be looking at the correlation between. But because of the computers and the way everything is now, it's all arbitraged back in very, very quickly. So I like the correlation where one is leading and the other is following. I certainly like that. And it does occur more often than people think. And you go with the stronger pair, which is the British pound, US dollar, obviously, because that's the most widely traded. And then the other one tends to follow suit a little bit afterwards. So hopefully that answers the question.
0: Mm -hmm. Hopefully. Love it, love it. Marcel is asking, how do you prepare for the upcoming stock market crash?
1: Ah, well, that's a good one. Well, I'm again, this is the whole point about I don't know if there is going to be another crash. I know that sounds like a crazy comment, but it's all over Twitter. It's all over everywhere that something's going to happen. But, you know, they quote this crash is going to happen. I just sit on a train and I'm going in one direction. And if you look at stocks, I'm not a stock person, but obviously I know uh, I have people around me that do stocks in my daily business. The U.S. stock market—someone could correct me if I'm wrong—I think was up 40% since Trump came in. You know, they've been calling the crash the whole time. But if you just sat on the train and just went up with the train, which is what the big guys have done, then you'd be quids in. So that crash, if and when it comes, I mean, you know, I I I use ATRs for stops, so ATN, you know, average true range stop. I'm about—I have what I call an Armageddon stop. so I actually trade a lot of positions with with effectively no stop what you would think is no stop but my stop is way out somewhere where i can't get heard uh, which is what i call an armageddon stop so if we have an snb something like that a really big move so i've got sort of loads of positions open at the moment so for example i've got short position on the on the euro at the moment but i got stops which are about 200 points above that 200 pips above but that's just there for a catastrophe in case someone pushes a button somewhere or you know or trump gets up and says something or i don't know brexit is cancelled or everything that can happen because this is financial market you know what can happen uh, it happens all the time but so i just want to be sure that i'll be protected in that case and that's about you know 5 ATRs is about you know it's about really yeah, at that level i can handle it so i don't really you know the crash I think it came off, didn't the Dow Jones came off the other night about a couple hundred points or something. It's bound to reduce a little bit, 4%, 5%. But that, that's all normal. But I wouldn't call anything. I wouldn't go around calling any crashes. What I would do is try and find a trend, uh, get on the trend, and then just ride it. But keep your stop. You can do it one of two ways. Be prepared to take lots of small hits and small gains. I like to let that thing ride, and I put my stop well out of the way because I don't want any spikes coming down and up and the rest of it which they to, to catch me, so, and I'm prepared to keep my position sizing very very small so that I can take those stops and ride to the upside if if the trend is to the upside. So that, that that's what I do, and I really wouldn't focus on the the crashes and things actually to be honest. Well, I don't know. If I hopefully that answers the question. Well,
0: yeah, yeah. Another question from Marcel. Yeah, yeah. So another question from Marcel. Uh, He's using right now the RSI on a higher time frame to confirm the trade and increase the probability of the trade being right. Do you have any Uh, advice on any filter that could be used to uh, increase the probability of trades? uh,
1: Good question. That is the $64 million question because actually anybody can put up a moving average crossover system or similar because they uh, almost give you the same uh, signals. If you use uh price levels, uh, they will give you they will get you into the trade earlier, they will get you six, depending on the time frame, you're in a 15-minute time frame, probably get you in about six or eight pips earlier and get you out uh sooner. That's what I do. So I don't use averages, I use actually price levels. Um but the question was can we filter that? Is an excellent question. There are a couple of things, and I'll be I'll tell you, there are a couple of things. I'm just trying to think, because you mentioned RSI, Um, again, what we were speaking about before was uh, buying highs or waiting for pullbacks and then buying the turn. Not directly linked, but hopefully it will answer the question a little bit. If you know, what's his name, Connors, he's got this big thing about RSI 2, very, very fast RSI, which again is proven in the market. There's a lot of automated trading people who use RSI 2. For a reversals, a reversal trading. Now, if you were to use that to get into the trade off the reversal, um, that already filters. I come to my point in a minute. That come that already filters a lot of trades because you are buying already on the pullback. I don't know if you see what the analogy. What I'm trying to say is, is because you're not buying highs, it's pullback already. And the RSI two is turning, and that actually proves that the market is turning. So the number of uh, whips or trades or the tra- false trades at that point is very limited because you're already on the pullback, and you've already done what I was talking about earlier. That you, the RSI two has helped to prove to you that the guys are buying and that you're in. So all that can go wrong at that point is that actually it comes up to about the fifty level and then crashes back down again. But you would have time to get out. So there's very few false trades on those types of entries. Now, on the entries that I do, for example, the breakouts, I'm buying the breakouts, we do get false entries because uh, there are quite often candles which have popped to the upside and there is no follow through. So that is false breakout. Now, what I tend to do is to use uh, chandelier exit in a very different way and just to explain how I do it. If you think about a chandelier exit, which is the um, do you know what a chandelier exit is, Etienne? have you heard of the chandelier exit? Exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's an ATR based exit designed by a guy called Chuck LeBeau. So it's chandelier exit, and the reason why they call it chandelier is because it sort of hangs beneath the lows of the price as it goes up, as the ATR expands, so the exit will expand as well, it gives you more space, so it's giving you more space as you go up as the price gets tighter. The exit gets tighter, and it is actually a very, very good uh, method of exit. A lot of big, big traders use it, big fund managers and stuff use the shangle exit or something very, very similar, which they may give another name, which then they give some fancy name, which is actually the same thing uh, because they don't want to think, show someone that they're using something uh, which has been designed by somebody else. They want to do their own work. But if you use that exit, and so you've got to imagine when you're buying, the exit is underneath. The price is going to the upside. It's trending to the upside, trending to the upside, and then you get eventually get stopped out. Now, if you get a false signal, if you make sure that the chandelier is always underneath your price, then that will get rid of a lot of false signals. So, I just try and repeat that again because maybe it's not clear. Typically, when you're buying, okay, price is trending to the upside. The chandelier is underneath, and eventually, it will get hit because you just get taken out of the market in normal fashion. Now if you to filter out some false trades on those breakouts, that if the chandelier is above, you have you have a range which is based on the highest, low, um, sorry, the lowest, the high the and the highs of the last normally seven days, and it will draw a line above your price, then if that chandelier is above price when you get a signal, when you get a breakout, they're normally false breakouts and you can get rid of them. That is a very, very good method of getting. So it's actually using the chandelier for something which is not supposed to be used for, but it gets mm-hmm. rid of stuff. And then the second thing is what I said at the beginning is buying on those pullbacks when the pullbacks already happened. So the sort of the false signals already happened, except you're with the big guys, they've turned it, the RSI 2 turns up, and then in you can go to the for, for upside trade. That, that also works quite well, actually. So hopefully that's answered the question. It's a bit Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be a good answer for sure. Yeah, thanks. And we have a couple more questions, but I wanted you to talk a little bit about your course because I know you have a whole course yeah. that people can go through, and I've I've seen many people yeah. buy it from me and like they went through your course and they liked it. So I got some good feedback on it. So yeah. just tell people what you have, and we have a special partnership as well with, uh, with, with okay. the academy that I have.
1: Okay, so my my the course is actually uh, video training, because I find that videos are the easiest way of getting the message across. It's all charts. I've got I think something like 28 modules in total, over 20 hours of training, and there's quite a lot of important stuff before we even get onto price action about the brokers. Now I don't know if Etienne, you've had this. I get I get approached by brokers the whole time who want to do oh, deals. Yeah. And all everything will
0: be crazy, uh, crazy.
1: Yeah, I mean, me probably not as 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 much as you, but I do get approached, and I'm very very careful about even recommending brokers. I get people asking me, oh, I won't say every day, but Twice, three times a week, what's the best broker? There is no such thing as a best broker. That's the first thing. They all change. You know, you've know, you got management uh, changes within companies and things. So what's a good broker this year might not necessarily be a good broker. Next year, that's the first thing. I've got quite a lot of background because of the bank. I'm working with IT guys, and I've been to the uh, IFX conferences and things You know, the um, uh, where they do in Asia and also in Cyprus where all the brokers are. And I've had a look at their software. I understand MT4, how it works. And I just want to, in some of these early modules, and I give you some a little tip now, in some of these early modules, I talk about actually some of the tools that the brokers have available to trip people up. And this is also why I like to go longer term timeframe, because if you're buying a trade, which is going to last six weeks, it doesn't matter what they do with your price, your slippage, the entry that they give you, they can't get you because you're in for maybe three, 400 pips, and the, they may be taking a couple of pips slippage off. But if you're only going to go for a ten trade, a ten pip profit, or an eight pip profit, they take two to three pips off you. That's a big amount of your man of your um, yeah, your, your your profit. So I talk a lot about about uh, brokers, the type of tricks they can be up to, and trying to help people to understand go for a little bit longer term time frame. Uh, that's the first thing I do, and I got quite a lot of good feedback from people on those videos saying that it's the first sort of you know, honest appraisal of how how it works. But the brokers have about like thirty different things within the software which they can switch on and off depending on what they want to do when they want to do it uh, increase the spread increase the slippage uh, etc so there's a whole range of things that they can do and i'll just give you one now just to hopefully prove to people that i know what i'm talking about when you when you push you buy and it goes to your your broker you've obviously got the a book and the b book which i think probably most people know what it is if if, if it's a b book the trades stay with the broker that's when they're purely trading against you if it's the a book it goes through to the tier one to the prime bank could go through to barclays or like hsbc or whatever and then what they typically do is they wait this all happens in a millisecond so if you're buying at um yeah 125 even or something they push the price through to to barclays uh, they will give you they will give the price that is requested uh, the confirmation of the broker is the, the broker then receives that confirmation and just adds on a couple of cents onto the uh onto the trade price so he gets a guaranteed profit, even at the execution. So because there's a third party involved, it's like you know me saying to you, uh, I want to buy this, uh, you know, buy a sandwich. How much is it going to cost? Uh, and I say, you know, four, four euros or something. And you you confirm back to me four euros, and then I confirm back to my client. I say, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's four euros ten. You know, so I've made ten cents profit, whatever happens. So this is what happens all day long, every day on all the trades. Um, that's on the A book. On the B book, they pile it up for themselves. Uh, that's a different question. That that's just the broker trading against you directly. But there's all this going on. There's slippage. There's all sorts of stuff. And on the short-term trading, it eats into your profits and can cause you a lot of damage. So I talk about that. I talk about uh, you know what is price action trading. The different styles of price action trading. So the breakout, the reversals, continuation trades. How to trade each of those particular. Yeah, you know, price action techniques, and I've got a. There's this my what I call my forex uncensored um, method, which is the London breakout, which is the London reversal method uh, rather, and then a Tokyo method as well for Asian traders as well uh, overnight. So it's the actually the Tokyo break in as opposed to the London breakout, which is what most people do. So there's an awful lot in there. I've got some very good testimonials and things from people say so it's it's genuinely a good good course. It took me a long time to uh, create it. But it's generally a good course
0: for people, I think, if they're interested in price action. Totally, totally. And the way it works, guys, is there's a link below the video. And if you buy Paul's course through that link, you're going to get a three-month complete membership to the Desarcered Academy with all the program, all the course, all the strategies, everything I'm putting there. And you get access to both. So it's kind of a win-win. And you guys get more in the end. So that's awesome. There's yeah. so a link below. And there's all the details and stuff on how to get your academy membership and stuff after that. Yeah. And oh, I, as I said, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah.
1: No, I was going to say, just um, from point of view of that, I mean, this is not, we're not doing, you know, promote pure promotion, but just to say, as I said at the beginning, um, you know, Etienne is, is a very, very serious guy in terms of he's had some good people on his podcast. I've watched his podcasts. Uh, I haven't seen any of the video casts, to be fair. Podcasts got some serious guys on there. He knows what he's doing. And you actually turned yourself around in my conversation with you. You turned yourself around from a losing trader into a, into a winning trader as well. And he's now got the lifestyle, which is you know, basically roaming around the world, from what I can see, as opposed to me sitting behind screens all day, all day long. So I'm a little bit jealous. But um, it is possible. You know, it is possible. You do have to have discipline uh, and price action. You know, the final thing I want to say about price action is that all indicators are, uh, are derived from price. So as opposed to you know, having the derivation of price, which is mostly late, not always, it's mostly late. Why not try just with the price because you're in before everybody else? And that's part of the game. If you can get in four or five pips before everybody else, that can be over a period, over the course of a year, the difference between being profitable and not being profitable. So that's really it. So anyway, thanks. Sorry for interrupting you for that.
0: I really appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah. So do you recommend holding trades over the weekend? Question from master. Yeah, I-
1: yeah, I mean, it depends on, on on the time frame, but yeah, I mean, I hold stuff over the weekend all the time. If you're going for the daily or the weekly, and you you go an ATR stop, which is, you know, quite a way away, it has to be a very very big big upset to cause you a problem. I know that you know traditionally a lot of big people close on a Friday, you know, Monday they're opening. And the rest, of it. I think there's a lot less of that going on than uh, previously actually, even though we're obviously living in a pretty unstable world. There is a lot less of that going on uh, because it's automated, and the cost of getting into trades, out of trades, you know, as long as you're not over leveraged. uh, And I sort of get worried because sometimes if people ask that question, I think, and I'm thinking in the back of my head, I think they must be quite over leveraged. They're worried about the weekend. I I under trade. If you look at the uh, market wizards, there's some one of the market wizards' books. One of those guys in there. One of the most famous quotes he says in there is "under trade, under trade, under trade," which means just. If you think you're going to put on, you know, a position of one lot, you know, don't leverage your account up to do the one lot. Just go for a fifth of that and sleep at night, you know, so that you can actually live to fight another day if something happens. That, that's what I would say. So, the weekend shouldn't be a problem if you are not too heavily leveraged. That's, that's what I would say.
0: Yeah, yeah, love it, love it. Question from Joe, and that, that's a two-part question. So, how many trades do you take to find out if you have a positive expectancy? And then yeah. how much risk do you take per trade?
1: Okay, that's a good question. Okay, so what I'm, what I'm doing, uh, actually, I'm permanently testing a lot of things. Um, I have a developer who writes EAs, and I'm permanently testing things. And I like to go back 15 years' worth of trades. Now, it depends on how often the method actually trades, because frequently there are, there are, there are very, very good methods that might trade maybe five, six times a year, something like that, on extreme moves. Uh, mean reversion uh, trades for example but you do need to have a decent statistical subset in order to prove that something is working and even then obviously it's worked in the past doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work in the future but i like 15 years and if someone gives me a thousand trades over 15 years and then i think okay uh and it's got a reasonable curve then that's uh that's enough for me with the expectancy again i mean with the you wouldn't believe what the banks are trying to shave off in terms of expectancy, uh, because of the computers and the speed that they've actually got. They will take um, you know, what is it? Oh, you know, when you, you sort of got one of those machines that, that that slices an onion, you get this little slice of thing which or a slice of I don't know what it is, but so thin you can almost see through it. Those guys will take that if, if they think they can make it work. Uh because the market is very, very competitive. So I think expectancy is is quite difficult to talk on. You certainly need to have, they, they say, I was trying to think of the, the best way to explain this. I'm, I'm more in terms of, uh, that move seems to have out by the way, it's not doing, I'm more in terms of ensuring that the observation set, if you like, is big enough. So I would prefer to have even a lower expectancy but say a couple of thousand trades, I feel very short, sure, feel very safe. If I've got a couple of thousand trades, because ultimately, as I was saying to Etienne in the beginning, the way also to turn this business round to profitability is if you if you sort of admit to yourself or you say to yourself, okay, this is my sole price, sole source of income. I have to be very careful with my money here. Then you really start to do things properly because you focus. If you got you know another job and you think, well, it doesn't really matter if I will use a few grand here, a few grand there, then, then. It, that's when problems happen, you start making mistakes. But to answer the question, I want more, I want a, a longevity of observations over a long period of time. I want to see all market types. I want to see down market, up market, side market. And then I want to see also across different instruments as well. And if something works across that, it's, it's good enough for me. And the expectancy, to be, to be honest, is a little bit secondary. I know that might sound a little bit unethical, it's not actually what's written in the books, but I'd prefer to have that longevity, that cross-section of, of observations rather than having something with an amazing expectancy which only trades twice a year and you've got three years' worth of data. So maybe that answers the question I've also
0: been... Yeah, yeah. Totally, right. totally right. Question from... And I want to check your time. I know we are more than an hour in, but yeah, don't don't maybe two worry. last questions. Uh, one from Ravindu. Are Elliot's Wave still part of trading in banks or are are bankers using Elliot's wave or not at all now?
1: Well, okay, um, difficult for me to say what everybody's doing, but I will make uh, dreadfully bold statements. I've never met anybody yet who has, I don't know everybody, that's the whole point. I don't want to come across as being a know-it-all tool, but I've never met anybody yet who has made a lot of money trading financial markets. Um, Using Elliott Wave. Now I know this guy Bob Prechter. I know somebody who knows him, and they have very, very deep and intellectual conversations about the wave formation. So I personally can't get it. I've never met anybody inside a bank who actually trades like that. And actually, whilst we're on that, what I also want to say, just this is what I meant to say this at the beginning, just to make it clear for people. Remember, with foreign exchange, eighty percent of what we do inside a bank is commercial business. So, for example. Um, You know, when you go to the stock market, you go there to speculate. Everybody goes to the stock market. They go there to buy a stock low and hopefully to sell it at a a higher price. So it's pure speculation. That's the only reason you go there. When you go to the foreign exchange market, uh, most of the business in the banks is, you know, BMW. They need to buy uh, to pay for some spark plugs or something they had made in wherever it is in America or in Japan so there has to be a financial transaction which takes place. so the majority of the market is that that's, so that's the first thing um, so you know most of it is that it's commercial business and they earn their money on that that spread uh, and that arranging those deals. So for example big banks someone like Barclays they're making probably about two two and a half million about 10 million a week something like that just on their foreign exchange department on those commercial deals. Uh, they then have other people, prop traders or so proprietary traders who sit also in around those desks there who will be able to take positions in their own right using the bank's money. Um, but I don't believe that those guys are using Elliott Wave, to be honest. It, it could be. Uh, you will undoubtedly have hedge funds and people that probably use that. But these are very, very specialist people. I've never personally seen anybody inside the bank actually doing that. So I, I, I don't know. Hopefully that makes, that makes sense. But what is important to remember is that 80% of what happens on the bank is commercial. It's you know, a company from Germany needs to buy and pay for uh, half a million T-shirts from China, for example. That is a transaction that has to take place. It's got to be done inside the bank. And that's actually the majority of the market is that. But that, just to finish the whole thing, that's why it is easier for us as speculators to make some money because we can see the manipulation which is going. We're not manipulation. We can see the price where it's moved around. By the bigger traders, which they can't do in the stock market because it's too big. Everyone is a speculator there. Whereas in Forex, only about 20% of people are speculating.
0: So that's also a plus. Interesting. Yeah. Question from Ari. is asking, what do you recommend to go full time from, well, to go from part time to full time trading? Uh, f- first thing first, mm-hmm. Ari, we have an episode. It's interview 118. Yeah. Exactly on that topic. I don't know, Paul, if you have a suggestion on how to go from part time to full time in trading. Um well,
1: you I think the thing is what I would say now and uh, is that and this is what I was saying to a lot of people that are in my group, I've got this this turtle group. and These people are professional people in their own right. We've got a guy who's I think a physicist, we've got people who've got companies. In a way, you can be a professional trader but you don't actually have to give up the day job if you don't want to, because you can run the whole thing on EAs with a VPS. You know, I have VPSs, which I think they charge me something like $35 a month for each one or something like this. I mean, the prices have come down dramatically. So the the setup costs are quite low. So if you have a job, why would you want to put the pressure on yourself immediately? Uh, What I would do is, is get some trading systems which work, get them coded up, Work out, you know, in that coding process. Work out whether that's really your time frame or not. Because sometimes you have to sort of spend money to work out what something really isn't for you. It might might be that you are really a, you know, a longer term trader rather than a, a half an hour fifteen minute time frame trader. Work that out. Get something which is working, and then at that point you could make a decision to perhaps even do what I'm suggesting is that you get your trading slips, you present that to uh, a trading house or there's a lot of websites out there where they they call their fund seeders. You can present your slips there and you can get money seeded to you via intermediaries and you can sit underneath the companies who do the regulation as well. You don't even have to worry about that as well. So it could all be very, very smooth and seamless as opposed to jumping out of a frying pan into a fire and and putting the pressure on yourself thinking, you know, I got to make tonight the money to pay the rent and stuff like that. That's where it all goes wrong. That's in, in my opinion. You put the pressure on, it won't work. But if you take it slowly and you have an objective to actually manage money for other people, even if you're trading an account of $5,000, it doesn't matter. If you can put that account up 30% a year for three, four years, you're going to get money. You won't get a lot of money to begin with. But just bearing in mind that the average hedge fund traders, there's a lot of hedge funds going out of business. The best hedge fund traders make about 30% a year. You know, okay, they're dealing in, in billions, and then they get twenty percent of the profit. I mean, and this is the whole point. As I come back to my first argument: you don't need to three hundred percent your account. For example, my EA is a target between five and eight percent a year. That's all I need. And then, if you've got money, the guys give you the money, and then you get two percent management fee, one percent management fee, plus twenty percent of the profits. You can make a nice living. So that is much easier, and 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 the connections are out there to get hold of these people, the fund seeders and everything. There's a lot of people with a lot of money out there and they're all looking for a home and they don't know where to look, actually. That's the other thing. That's what forex, that's what people don't realize. They don't realize there is the money out There, there is this gigantic sums of money out there and none of it's earning any money on the bank because of the worldwide global interest rates are just you know, pitiful, less than pitiful. Therefore, if you can give someone 5% a year with no drawdown, then you, you basically you're king. And um, it, it is possible. It is most definitely possible to do it that way. So I would advise to do that. Probably keep the day job. Keep playing the ramp of the day job and just do it at nighttime. Set your ESA, EAs up. You don't want to code it yourself. Just get someone cheap. You, you know, There's plenty of people out there who want to do good coders and things. And then you can build your own little business that way and uh, move it on like that. That's what I would say anyway.
0: I love this, I love this perspective. It's awesome. I think yeah. it's also the way I'm going, like over time. So love it for sure. Yeah. Great, that's great, cool. So we have a couple of questions that we have covered in the past. Things like money management, things like fib, pivot point. I think that's yeah. pretty much the same thing we've talked about. Is it possible to trade with an, with a small hundred dollar account, or should we have a big account?
1: Hundred dollar? Yeah. I mean, you can trade with any 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 size account. I mean, again, I would. I mean, if you only have hundred dollar, that doesn't really make any difference. If you if the objective is to Produce some trading slips to uh, show to a third party uh, with regard to, with view to um, them, you know, feeding, funding you, and, and feeding you uh, like a fund feeder for um, management. Then it doesn't matter what the, what people are looking for is drawdown. The thing that the investors they hate is drawdown. You imagine you just put yourself in a position. Imagine you've got a massive company, you sold your company, been very successful, and you've got for your family and you. Uh, you know, and for your children and your grandchildren or whatever, you've got $100 million, let's say $100 million, a lot of money, a lot of money, let's say $100 million to play with. Now, what you want to do then, because you sold all your business, you know, you've got to live off the interest, you've got to live off something. At that point, you are dead scared that someone's going to lose you your $100 million. So if you give someone the $100 to trade and they draw down to $50 million, you're going to have a heart attack. Because that is your nest egg. That's your whole life that you've worked for. That's the future for your children or grandchildren or whatever it is. So, yeah, you, know, you might be prepared to say take five, ten percent drawdown to ninety. You know, ninety million for example. You start off with a hundred million. Let's say ten percent drawdown. Is that still got ninety left? Still got ninety left. So it's not too bad. So you've got to think like an investor. They don't want to have fifty percent drawdowns. They love a 10% drawdown. They love zero drawdown, but it's not possible. It's it's financial markets, and you can't win 100% of the time. So think about that. But if you could have an account, if it's $100, $1,000, $10,000, $100,000, and you can draw it down, say maximum 10 12% only, then you're in business because that's what they're looking for. If you give them, say, 6% a year with a 12% drawdown, They'll much prefer that than give them 20% a year with a 50% drawdown. Because when they draw down 50, the phone will ring and the guy will ring up and say, liquidate everything because I want my money back. Do you see what I'm saying? There's this, this relationship between the drawdown and the profit. And actually, if they've got a lot of money, all they want to do is preserve that capital. They just want to grow it a little bit. And they say, they say to their, their friends, I've got this guy he grows my capital 5% per year. No drawdown. Nearly no drawdown. And they love it. That's how the big money feels, thinks, and and so I would, I would even ignore the size of your account. Just trade as if you've got a hundred million, and you've got to protect that hundred million, and you're protecting it, you know, with your really with your every single power in sinew. You've got in your body to protect that in order to make sure that account is still there for tomorrow, and you can present that to someone and say, look, I've got some some cracking. Uh, trading slips here will you sponsor me to, to trade some money and that's the way to go and market.
0: love it love it and I'm pretty sure that's exactly what your course will guide people to go every step of the way how to reduce drawdown how to yeah. first of all create a strategy how to reduce drawdown how to manage money as well so love it perfect yeah perfect yeah, yeah. and guys uh, so for links to me below if you want to have the offer with Paul's course on price action plus the academy you get 2 for 1 which is really awesome and no no, no increase in price the same price as always that's awesome. So link video. And Paul, thank you so much for accepting okay. to come on the channel. It's, I think it's been awesome. Thank you very much. Do you have much. any it's last word of advice you want to give people?
1: Um, no, uh, just, just to say that, I mean, there's a lot of stuff on the internet. A lot of it is not so good as we know. Um, it is possible to make money, but you've got to watch your leverage. You've got to have something which is 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 proven to work. I would say most for most people, try and go with the trend because if you think about forex price, especially on a 15-minute chart – it mostly, I mean, just like this afternoon, not so much, or maybe this is yesterday. It mostly sort of hovers a little bit. It just goes to the side. It basically goes like this, and then all of a sudden, like this, and then it gets to that point there, and then you like and then back down. That's what forex price does. Therefore, if you're with the trend, you will always be with those moves. And that that's you know on a shorter term time frame, on a, on an hourly or four hourly something like that. And those are the ones that you want to get with if you can. Uh, And if you can train yourself to do daily or weekly or monthly, I believe you'll probably actually make more money. It'd be a little bit slower, probably. Um, might need a little bit more capital. Um, but I would say go with that. But and and just believe, you know, if you're doing something and it's not working, just just change, for example, you know, are you trading with a stop? I mean, everybody should have a stop. I use, as I say, these Armageddon stops because I'm quite experienced. I've got plenty of space in between me and the market. And I got some capital, but you do need a stop just in case someone pushes a button or something happens. You must have a stop. I wouldn't necessarily put targets on so much. I know people do, but they. I like trailing stops. So if the market is going to run, uh, you need to be on those moves. For example, like Brexit or one of these big moves, you know, these election moves. You need to be on those moves if you're with the trend. And you never know how far this thing's going to run. So you get a payday. You get a really big payday. Um, if you have a target, obviously you get, it takes you out on your target, but then it could run on a couple hundred pips. So I would say use uh, training stops um, to get you out. Go with the trend, and then really have a look at price action. Do have a, even if you, you know, you just want to look at it online or something. Just have a look at price action because it does get you into trades earlier, and it will get you out of trades as well. So that's that's the main uh, thing. I think that's about wow. it. I think for me,
0: powerfully summarising two minutes. I love it. So that was it for episode 130 with Paul Langham. I hope you guys liked it. I hope, as always, you got some takeaways. And I think this was really, really interesting, even for myself. So I definitely got things away from that interview. And if you want to check out the course that Paul has brought together, I think it would be a very wise next move. All the links are going to be in the show notes, as always. If you want to get in touch with Paul, that's going to be there also. And if you want to be aware of these future interviews on YouTube, make sure you check out the YouTube channel over at desire tradecom forward slash video. It's going to be right there on YouTube. Look forward to see you guys next week for the next episode of the desire trade podcast. Ciao.